The following episode of An Evening at the Movies is brought to you by the I Did Not Make These Rankings Podcast Network, Masturbators, Crushgasm, An Evening at the Movies, The Sip List, Love is Black, Men are the Prize, Crime Rewind, Literature Reapers, all of your podcast needs can easily be met in one place at www.idnmtrpodcastnetwork.com. And remember, at the end of the day, I did not make these rankings and fuck Rotten Tomatoes. Have a nice day and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to a impromptu episode of An Evening at the Movies, everybody's favorite movie-based podcast where we eat stale popcorn, drink watered-down sodas, and discuss all of our favorite movies and why we love them, unless you work a graveyard shift on Thursday night and sleep all freaking day, or stay up all freaking night and go to therapy and then try and record on Friday and fall asleep before the recording and sleep through it. With all that said, that episode will be brought to you at a later date and time. But to fix the problem of me falling asleep, I have a very special bonus episode for you guys. We have 
everybody's favorite literature reaper back with us. Shannon Bananas here. Say hello to the people, Shan. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be here to talk about one of my favorite movies. We're not talking about The Departed. I said one of them. <laughs> I'm the not going to lie. Departed is my number one. It is your number one. And, and um, definitely may or may not be what my draft selection is for you on Tuesday night when <laughs> we discuss our movies that make us think of other people in the network draft topic. I'm not going to lie. That shit is, what, three days away now? I am excited for that. That is going to be interesting to see what kind of fucked up cinematic vision yeah. The rest of you six people have about me, yeah. what I have about all of you guys. I'm definitely excited because mine are going to be based on first impressions for the most part. So I'm kind of curious to see what my first impression that I've made on everyone is. The nice thing is for like you, it, there's at least a couple of people for you that you spent a lot of time talking to and right. getting to know. So like myself and Amanda, you shouldn't have a problem with. Right. The interesting ones, like where you were going to be, you know, you recorded with Dre before you've recorded with Harvey before. And you've had a recording with cam and you've had mm, a cup, one or two recordings with Kendra. Right. So, you know, you don't really have a whole deep understanding about them, but you've got enough first to be impression already. Enough that we're going to get freaking hilarious. And if you and Amanda take gummies before Tuesday night, oh, Jesus, <laughs> God, this is going to be some horseshit butt fuckery. I'm not going to lie. In the best it's way. Gonna be, it's going to get, no, obviously in the best way. Because. There should never, ever be any ill intentions to our drafts. There might be hurt feelings over blah, blah, blah. That's one thing. But it's all fun and games, and it's never meant to be derogatory or hurtful or spiteful right. in any way, shape, or form. So definitely, ha, 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 this is re releasing to the world the day after we drafted. So. It is what it is. But if you're listening if, to this and have not listened to the live, I highly recommend you go listen because I'm like, it was a fun episode to record and I laughed my ass off. Ha ha, wink, wink. But <laughs> definitely, for those of you who don't tune in and watch our episodes when we record them live on Tuesday nights, 545 in the West and um, 745 Mountain Time. 8.45 on the East Coast, and then 7.45 yeah, Central Shanna time. Yeah, Central time, so 7.45 Shanna time. Shanna, Shamanda time is 7.45. Yes. Shamanda time. Kendra and Harvey time, 8.45. Yep. Cool Dre and cool Casey time, 5.45. And then that other time zone, obviously 6.45. But 
we don't have any network members in the freaking mountain time zone. So they can go take a long walk off a short pier. With all that said, we've rambled on long enough. But as I said, we are here to fill in the gap for the fact that this week was supposed to be on the line with Lance Bass and Ashley was supposed to be here to discuss it with me. But because of my shitty end of the week, shit got fucked up and we're pivoting, calling an audible and Shanna's willing to step in. And this is why it's not a bad idea to have extra episodes in the bank ready to go just in case. So I'm glad we had already watched this and technically all we had to do was just pull shit up and get ready to record. I rewatched it right before we recorded just because it is one of my favorite movies and I wanted to make sure I didn't forget anything. I am not going to lie. I've watched it. I took it all in when we watched it. I didn't rewatch it in prep because I was doing about eight different freaking things this afternoon. But I've seen enough of it to have a very solid opinion. And I'm going to trust in the fact that my partner in crime today, Miss Shannon Banana, will gladly be willing to help carry the load. And make yes. sure we have a great episode. Absolutely. So with all that said, because that's what Shanna does. So with all that said, um, we are going to be discussing the 2015, correct? Yes. Yes, 2015. Um, amazing, incredible movie, Everest. So... Uh, before we get going, uh, let's see. Ow. Everest released on September 18th, 2015 in the United States. And fuck my phone for not having the volume off. Uh, let's see. It was directed by... Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, why can't people have American names? Uh, Balthaz... That's my Hail Mary attempt at pronouncing his last name. Probably butchered it. If he happens to listen to this episode and gets offended, I'm sorry. But I don't do foreign pronunciations very well. So it is what it is. Uh, let's see. It was just distributed by... Distribute, distributed. Distributed by Universal Pictures. Had a budget of $55 million, a box office of $203.4 million, a Rotten Tomato score of 73%, which is not a bad score, if you think about it. And um, if I remember correctly, because mm, Amanda has requested that we properly provide listeners with where you can find the movie to watch if you're interested in watching the movie and you haven't watched it. Shanna, correct me if I'm wrong, but Everest is streaming on the cock? Yes, I have I have it purchased on Apple, so that's where I watched it. I watched it on Peacock when I watched it back in February with you, so hopefully that information is correct. Well, 
So it will be correct, and I'll just keep rambling until I pull up my watch app and enter some information. But um, while I'm doing that, would you be interested in letting the listeners know what this movie is about? Sure, I'd love to. So back in 1996, um, there was an unprecedented amount of climbers on Mount Everest and it caused some traffic jams, you know, on different parts of the mountain. And eventually there were some climbers that got caught in a storm and um, several perished. I think it was eight that died on the mountain. And it's basically, it follows the team of adventure consultants led by Rob Hall. And he was actually a very, very famous climber. He had um, reached the summit of Everest twice, I think. And he was kind of a a hand-holding, very supportive guide that um, kind of prided himself on getting his climbers to the top safely. And, you know, he had very strict rules about, you know, how to do that. And he acted Actually, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, he perished trying to get one of his climbers down. Um, He broke his own rules and stayed past the turnaround time. And the turnaround time is the time that they have to have reached the summit by in order to get down the mountain safely. So it is an unbelievable glimpse in what it's like, not just climbing the mountain, but the preparation that it takes to do that, the endurance and the physical conditioning, and then what it's like to actually reach the climate, the dangers. It's not just this big, you know, beautifully painted picture of, you know, gumdrops and lollipops on reaching the summit of Mount Everest. It's a very real and gritty look at it. Um, and you do see the, the toll that it takes on people emotionally, physically, mentally, all of that and not just the people that climb but the the support staff and it's just a phenomenal movie that both educates you on how it's done as well as entertaining you yeah um i remember back when we watched this in february ish yeah that um Uh, yeah, well, there was moments in the movie where you laugh. There's moments of in the movie where, you know, you're worried, your pulse is rapidly picking up. There's moments that leave you, you know, with a lump in your throat and, you know, a tear rolling down your fucking cheek. There's parts in it that make you absolutely furious. Yeah. No, I and mean, this is one of those subjects, and I've mentioned this to you before, where I will get in on a subject and then I will just consume everything I can as far as getting the information that I can on the subject. Not only have I watched this movie, but I've read books from I've read a book from um, John Krakauer, who is the guy who did Into the Wild. Um, he did the Seven Banners of Heaven, which is the the Pat Tillman story. Um, he did this one, and he actually was 
a climber who climbed with this group and he reached summit and then he came down and he wrote a book about the tragedy. I've read um, the book by Beck Weathers, who was played by Josh Brolin in the movie, who was injured and then basically left on the mountain for dead, but then somehow was able to rally himself and find himself to camp where he was rescued. And he had unimaginable injuries. He had, he lost fingers, toes, his nose from frostbite. Um, Just, I mean, I've, I've read Anatoly's book in regards to the tragedy and I'd like to just stamp right now. Fuck you, Anatoly. You selfish prick. Yeah, no fucking definite rat bastard moment. I what fear infuriates me most and the the movie goes into it but not as much as I would like to it it to have is Anatoly was a comp an accomplished climber and he was one of the guides for um, Scott Fisher. And Scott Fisher, who was played by Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie, is a very, if you can't get up on the mountain on your own, you don't belong there kind of guide. So he hired Anatoly to be one of his guides. And Anatoly decided that he wanted to this time, and he has climbed Everest before, as a guide this time, he wanted to make the journey without oxygen. Which is completely dangerous. It, I mean, it's, it's horrifically dangerous. And the problem that I have and, with him and why I call him so selfish is because he was a guide. He was, his job was to make sure others would, if they needed help, he could guide them down safely. So doing it without oxygen meant he was not at his, the top of his game in order to be able to help people. Like he was supposed to, um, one of the Sherpas had, after Scott Fisher had fallen and he was like, I'm done. You need to go get Anatoly. He went to go get Anatoly. And Anatoly was spent. He couldn't do it because he had made that climb without oxygen. Now, granted, he did save three lives on the mountain that year, but he could have saved more had he not been such a selfish prick. Yeah, well, and that's one of, like, you addressed earlier while you were talking about the plot. Um, For those of you who don't necessarily know, climbing Mount Everest is not just something you can roll out of bed you know decide to do one day obviously there's preparation that you have to do and i'm not assuming that anybody would just roll out of bed and just assume oh i'm going to get on a plane and go fly to asia and climb mount everest in a week you can't just people are not that dumb and two there's a lot more preparation that goes into And it's super expensive. Like they paid like $65,000, a piece to these guides to get them up that mountain. That does not include their own personal supplies, their airfare, anything like that. That is just for the the consultant service on getting them up to the mountain and down. Now that does include like with adventure cap or adventure create or uh, adventure consultants. That included four round trips to acclimatize. They would make four up and down trips to different camps on the mountain to get the climbers' bodies acclimatized slowly and safely. So, they, I mean, but that didn't pay for their food, for, you know, any incidentals. And we're talking a lot of money yeah. and a lot of preparation. Yep. Like, they're up there six weeks before they make the actual climb. 
Well, it gets, that's the point is there, it takes not only to physically prepare your body, but you also have to go through the actual preparations of slowly building yourself up to having your lungs capable of handling things at that level. And, right. You know, because if you're not prepared, there is almost 100% certainty you will fail and you will ultimately probably perish on that mountain. Right. That mountain is a cold-hearted bitch and it will not just let you conquer it without giving up. A, you will leave a part of yourself on that mountain. Undeniably. Even if you make it all the way to the top and plant your proverbial flag, you will. It, it, it's a moment to be celebrated, but then at the same time, it will take part of your soul to get there and be right. able to do that. You will not be the same person after you get back down as you were before you went up. Right. So, and the majority of climbers don't perish on their way up. It They perish on their way down because they've used all of their, their body strength mm-hmm. to get up there and they don't have enough gas left in the tank to get back down. And yeah. that's the scary part because there's this thing called the death zone. And once you hit that altitude, your body starts dying and you have to get back up to the re- the top of the mountain and back down below the death zone before it actually dies. It's like a timer. Yeah. It, once the proverbial clock starts ticking, you don't have a significant window of time. No. You know, complete steps X, Y, and Z, and then erase all the freaking letters and get back to, you know. Right. Step- and not only that, you don't just have to worry about that, but you have to worry about the weather. Um, if that sun starts beating on that ice, it's going to make it kind of shifty and unstable because, it, you know, it could shift underneath the, the weight of climbers. You know, it, once they hit that ice fall and if it's not sturdy and those ladders shift, you're stuck. Well, because that's the other point that I had never thought of before until, like, we watch this movie was... You got to remember when you're climbing one of, if not the tallest mountains in the world, um, after a certain point, there's nothing blocking the sun from being on top of you except for clouds. Right. Until, until you return back to that vegetation level. Right. So, you know, yeah, the sun, especially once you get to that snow cap part of the mountain you know you have sun beating down on that and depending upon any little bit of blockage you might get from clouds and whatnot that literally can cause you know meltage slippage snow blindness causes avalanches snow blindness is another very i mean i've driven in a car on you know legitimate ground and had snow around with nothing blocking it and you get that reflection off of the sun off of the snow and yeah it'll it's a real thing significant yeah it's not a freaking joke you just met this is exactly why all of this is not something to be taken lightly i mean this there's a, a reason why only a very few people have planted their flag in the top of that mountain 
And that's one thing I really, really thought that the movie did exceptionally well is they, after the, the climbers reach base camp and they're talking to the doctors and stuff, they fit it into the movie so well, but they talked about, you know, the effects of the different things that could happen to the body and, um, you know, like pulmonary edema and, um, like brain swelling and things like those are all real things. And they did such an amazing idea or amazing way or job of like incorporating that into the story without it feeling luxury or boring. Yeah. Well, cause I think at that point, if you get into the whole trying to go down that road and then it becomes, starts to become luxury and blah, blah, blah then you really start to take away from the movie. People start checking out mentally mm-hmm. and you're not going to get an entertainment value from the movie. You're not going to have people that are going to take anything away from the movie. And that ultimately is what we're looking for here from Hollywood and all of that. So, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, this movie is here to entertain the fans. But it's also so, it's educational, but in an entertaining way. And I hate to feel like, oh, I'm entertained by a story of people's deaths. But I have said this before. I enjoy disaster movies. I prefer when the disasters aren't real. Mm -hmm. But when a, a true life disaster movie is presented in such a way that it's not glamorized or, you know, Hollywoodized. I didn't I don't feel like they took liberties with the actual story in order to make it entertaining. I felt like they stuck to the bait like nobody nobody will ever know like the every aspect of what happened on that mountain. No one will. But I have done enough research from different angles and different people that were on the mountain that that movie based on even Anatoly who's a prick, you know, based on his description of what happened on the mountain, they did a fantastic job of telling the story and doing it justice and paying tribute to the people that did lose their lives. Well, and that's the other thing I was going to give you credit for too, is the fact that not only have you seen this movie and you love this movie, but you've done enough research in and reading about X, Y, and Z and elemental P to know that, just how legitimate this movie is. Yeah. So, and the fact that you are comfortable enough to say, yeah, exactly. You know, this movie hits home in a way that it doesn't over sensationalize. It doesn't Hollywoodize this topic. It doesn't do this. It doesn't, it's a great movie that educates as well as entertains. Yes. And that is one of the, probably most fascinating parts about this movie for me because I've been around enough to know that I've seen enough true stories to know that yes, true stories are exactly what they are. But for the most part, if you actually look at a legitimate true story, it all can be incredibly, for lack of a better term, Hollywoodized. Yes. And I get that because certain as- you have to change certain you have to take certain liberties to create a cohesive 
cinematic viewing experience because at the end of the day, truth be told, um, real life events don't always become that visually appealing to watch on the big screen. So you kind of sort of have to take the liberties to spice it up a little bit. Where if you can do that as a whole or legitimately find the moments in a true story like with Everest where you can be faithful to legitimate acts of truth and put that whole entire story together that's when I think true story movies become the most real yeah there's only two things in the movie that I can think of that they had to take liberties with and that was a couple of the deaths Um, The first one being Doug, the post office or the postman or the mailman, Mm -hmm. who was the one that Rob ended up breaking his rules for to help up the mountain. Um, Unfortunately, Doug had tried to climb the mountain before and failed the previous year. So he had an elementary school that was near him and the kids raised money to help fund him to get up the the mountain or, you know, his trip to try and climb Everest Mm -hmm. again. And Rob broke his rules of the two o'clock turnaround time and helped him get up the mountain. Unfortunately, Doug was spent by the time it was time to go down and Rob would not leave him behind. Rob had enough energy to get himself down, but he would not leave Doug and they fell asleep together. And when Rob Hall, who is the owner of adventure consultants woke up, Doug was gone And it's only assumed that he at some point had fallen. And Mm -hmm. I mean, because Rob had no idea what happened to him when he ended up speaking with base camp because base camp had contact with him throughout this whole time. Um, He was like, Doug's gone. And he he had no idea what happened. And the other um, the other person was Harold, Andy Harold. And he had been sent up after Rob to help bring him down. And he went to go look for some oxygen that had been stashed on um, the South Summit. So he had gone to look for it. And it's unclear whether, you know, he was, I don't want to say delusional, but he wasn't thinking clearly. um, And he thought the oxygen bottles were empty. So he disappeared on that trek to go look for those oxygen bottles um, Mm. on his way back. He got to them and then he radioed down to base camp that they were empty and then when he was going back to rob he disappeared and it's assumed that he lost his footing in the storm and fell as well but nobody knows what happened to them um andy's or harold andy and harold are the same guy depends on who's talking about him they have different nicknames for him his body was actually found later um at the bottom of one of the rock sides so it's it's pretty obvious that he fell they just don't know what happened to him to cause him to fall and the eerie part about Everest is if you die up there you stay up there they cannot safely bring your body down and it's almost like these bodies have become I don't want to say landmarks but they help guide the climbers you know like oh I'm at you know they have different names for them. Like there's one guy up there named Yellow Shoes and they don't decay up there because of the ice and the cold. So these bodies look very similar to the, from when they landed 
you know, so there's yellow shoes and they will use him as like a flag where they're at on the mountain. They can't bring the, any of them down safely. That's the horrific part about this whole thing is how long some of those dead bodies have been up there. Yeah. And they're still and the finding. They're, I mean, they assume that the some actual... people have perished, but they've never oh, found yeah. the bodies. But as we begin to explore more of the mountain, more of those bodies are being found. So, I mean, yeah, we know that, you know, Edward Hillary, who, you know, the Hillary step was named after. Um, we know that he uh -huh. died up there, but it wasn't until late in the 2000s that they found his body up there. And a lot of that, they say, has to do uh -huh. with global warming and stuff, too, because, you know, it's beginning to melt some of that snow yeah. and everything. But, you know, we're becoming more, I don't want to say intelligent with our climbing abilities, but more advanced in our climbing abilities. So we are, people are taking on new tasks and trying to climb the mountain in new ways where other people have made well, parents trying to do that so they're finding more of these well, and here's the fascinating part to me is you got to remember too the technology and advancements that we've made as a society with climbing like today i would imagine it's probably 150,000 times safer to do it now than it was when Sir Edmund Hillary did it and was the first person to make it to the top. I don't know. I think that there that I think that Mount Everest is one of the few wonders of the world that I don't care how advanced we get. If you can't do it, there is nothing, no equipment, no advancement technologically or anything that is going to get you up that mountain aside from your own will. Because all in all, at the point. end of the day, you have to get up there on your own. You know what I mean? There's no there's no yeah, magic I ski mean, lift or anything. You've got to make that climb. And really, I mean, one pound feels like 10 on Mount Everest. So it's not like any there's any gear that you could take up there that's going to get you up there easy, any easier. And in fact, you'd want to take less. Well, because that's the other point, too, is... I can't speak for my, I've never done anything like that. Been on top of a huge freaking mountain like Mount Everest. And I never will. No. So I can say that with 100% certainty. But I also live in a community that is virtually at sea level. And I've also been to Denver, Colorado, which is, as everybody knows, the quote unquote mile high city. Yeah. Mile, Denver, Colorado is definitely. As far as Mount Everest is concerned, not even on the same fucking level. No. But I know going from sea level Aberdeen, Washington to Mile High City, Denver, Colorado, how significantly different that, you know, mile of elevation change is on your body and how mm -hmm. if you're not used to it, it can definitely wreak havoc with your breathing and your heart rate and physically exerting yourself can be almost overly taxing and something that you know you may not necessarily be able to do as well as you could do when you're at your usual typical right like for me sea level so 
don't know, walking around Denver for the week that I was in Denver back in 2008, I think. I was not in horrible shape by any stretch of imagination, but yeah, walking a mile, two miles down the freaking road because I forgot certain things in my luggage and had to go to CBC, Rite Aid, whatever the hell store it was I ended up going to was a pain in the ass because it's like by the time I got there, I'm like <gasps> breathing my ass off. And right. that's only a, a mile elevation. I could not imagine what it would be like because even base camp for Mount Everest is well above yeah. the Denver elevation. So. And I just, it, it boggles my mind that there are people out there that have the chutzpah to do it. Like, these people, Not they, me. no, like they wake up and they set their sights on this and they actively train for it. And, you know, they save up the money to do it. I just, I can't imagine having that kind of determination about something that could kill me. Well, cause here's, like you said in the beginning, it costs like 60, $70,000. Just for the guide. Just, yeah. Just for the, you haven't even factored in the trip to get there, the supplies that you're going to need to go from point A to point top of the fucking mountain. You know, your food, all of that. You're probably looking at well over $100,000. Oh, for sure. Easily. And, and on top of it, you may not live to see the end of the damn day. And there's no guarantee you, of you getting to the summit. This exactly. is just for the chance to try. Yeah, the chance to try. If you have the determination and don't abide by restrictions, you're not coming back from that freaking attempt at the top of that mountain. So, uh -huh. you know, it's your own, I don't want to sound disrespectful, but it's your own damn funeral and it's an expensive one at that. Right. And that's one part in the movie that I thought was really great, too is when Anatoly announces that he will be climbing without oxygen. And then Rob Hall says to his guides, he was like, you work for me. And if you don't wear oxygen, you don't work for me. Mm -hmm. Because he's like, you have to be at the top of your game in order to help people if they need it. And that means you need to be thinking clearly. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I... I don't care who you are. If you are a guide trying to get people who have spent their hard-earned money to try and make this attempt, yeah, you need to be A1 on your game the whole freaking time. Yeah. And it's your responsibility to get them to the top and back or to a stopping point and, okay, it's not safe to go any further. We've got to cut this and as your guide and the person who is responsible for each and every one of you, I'm saying, no, we're going back. It's my reputation on the line. It's my company's reputation. Exactly. On the line. Fuck your ego. No offense, but we're not going any further. One thing that I really, really love so, too about this movie is how much they paid appreciation and homage to the Sherpas like how much work the Sherpas mm -hmm. actually do. Um, like they climb up there. They're the ones that are climbing up there free-handed to set these ropes and ladders. 
you know, and to be a Sherpa, I mean, there's some of them that have summited four or five times in their life, which is amazing. And I love that they, like Rob Hall's Sherpa Andaji, I mean, he, oh, he's, he's such a little badass. And then, um, one thing I did not like about the movie is how they portrayed Beck, Beck Weathers, who is played by Josh Brolin. They, they played him like an asshole. Like the fact that his wife, Peach, who is played by Robin Wright Penn or Robin Wright now, um, she told him if he, he climbed another mountain that she would divorce him. And then he went and climbed it anyway and then forgot to tell her. And he then immediately forgot to tell yeah, her. Yeah. And then calls her the day after their anniversary because she sent him a fax. Oh, and like yeah. By the way, he's so condescending to the other climbers, like um, to John Krakauer and uh, to Doug. And he's like, I'll tell you what the summit's like, thinking that, you know, because Doug is a postman and because John Krakauer is a writer, they have absolutely no chance of summiting when both of them did and he didn't. Yeah. Again, aspects of reality that Hollywood may or may not take liberties with. I mean, it could be that a... he really was that much of a dick. And then, you know, his book, he's not going to make him out, himself out to be like it the biggest tool. Well, um, no, because at the end of the day, people aren't going to want to buy a tools book and yeah. spend countless hours. Re I mean, I do know that have, in John Krakauer's book, he did not have a lot of nice things to say about Beckweathers, but he didn't come right out and call him out for being a tool. He handled it very diplomatically. No. Um, you know, he just didn't really discuss him much. It was more along mm -hmm. the lines of what, his personal journey was like getting up to that mountain and then making the decision that he was too exhausted to be able to go back to try to help other climbers that he essentially would have been writing his own death sentence and the guilt that he carried with him for years afterwards. Yeah. This is a fucking amazing movie. And for one, I can't believe it took me what seven and a half years to freaking watch it. Yeah. And I'm glad you recommended that I watch it because, well, we'll get to it as a whole when we talk about our overall rating and review. But, um, and I know we've spent the better part of the last 25-ish minutes, 30 minutes talking about the greatness of this movie. Um, but... Is there anything about this movie that you absolutely cannot stand or that turned you off about this movie in any way, shape, or form? I think I touched on it. It, it would have been the way that they portrayed Beck Weathers. I, I thought that they really kind of turned him in a, into a tool unnecessarily. And I get that every movie, movie kind of has to have that villain kind of, like, not necessarily villain, mm -hmm. but the person that you're kind of like me that you're not as emotionally invested in. Um, but I, I think they, they kind of did him a little dirty and they didn't yep. do Anatoly dirty enough. Yeah. I remember Anatoly a lot from when we watched this movie earlier this year. 
and that's definitely one of those freaking characters that I feel like ripping my hair out at the freaking root while, I mean, the guy just, oh my God, it pisses me off beyond all reason. But at yeah. the same time, you kind of have to have, for storytelling purposes, you have to have goodness for people to get behind and root for. But then you've also got to have the opposite side of the equation with, right? you know. And they were at, telling I mean, the story from the vantage point of adventure um, consultants mm -hmm. instead of Scott Fisher's team. So, and Anatoly belonged to Scott Fisher's team. So that's yeah. the only reason I can think of that they didn't spin it more um, because they didn't want the focus I think they did a really good job of not playing the blame game and letting the court of public opinion do that. Yeah. Because anybody that researches Which, it and does, you know, their, their due diligence is going to formulate their own opinion. And there's, there could be people out there that say, you know, Anatoly was under no obligation to go back and try and save people's lives everybody knew the risk of going on that mountain and if they couldn't make it down, that's on them. He wasn't responsible to go back and get them. I get that. But as mm -hmm. a guide and someone who signed up to be a guide, he agreed to at least make the attempt to try and help. And the fact that they left Beck up there when he was still alive and he had to find his own way down breaks my heart. How scary to be almost blind have frostbite on your fingers and toes, be snow blind, have to find your way down this mountain alone in a storm. Because that's the other point, though, too. Beck, as a heroic element of the story, like you said, was compl almost completely snow blind, frostbite all over the freaking place. Dude yeah. was freaking how close to freaking literally being dead he had to peel the, his, his skin off of the ground yeah and again I, I love horror movies and there isn't really a whole lot horror wise that will creep me the hell out but elements of stuff like this mm, is very unsettling for me to watch and yeah the whole Beck and all of that. No. No thank you. No gracias. And then him at the end of the and day. And then him checking on the others that were up there with him and finding out that they were dead, you know. Mm -hmm. Realizing that he has to get down that mountain alone or he's going to die too. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean like the not survivors say about it. Oh, yeah, no, I get it. And, and not to be passe about it, but I remember watching this and having that feeling of he's fighting with everything he's got to make it down. Yeah. Checking on people as he goes. It felt very much like boats and hose after the freaking boat went down. And yeah. you have the couple, the couple of life rafts that 
you know, transferred people into other boats and filled them up and then went back to try and, you know, save who they could. Save whoever out of the water that they could. Unfortunately, minimal saving was done. Yeah. Because by that time, most of the freaking people were. But yeah, I mean, to literally be in a situation where you're on top of that mountain and you know good and hell well, and I'm not saying he's a moron and didn't realize how dire his freaking situation was because he had to freaking know he's not a complete idiot. I mean, obviously he couldn't see. He had to know frostbite was setting in and to know that he's nowhere near a safe zone. He's nowhere near the top, and at the same time, he's nowhere near the bottom. He's exactly. just kind of stuck. And he, For lack of a better term, he's stuck in fucking limbo. Yeah. You know, it's very much like, you know, what being on those lifeboats after Titanic sank. You know, yeah, you're not necessarily in the water, but you're out in the middle of the freaking North Pacific, or North, North Pacific, North Atlantic Ocean. In like the, I don't even remember the freaking year. The year doesn't matter. But the early part of the 20th century. Wait, okay, 1912. Early part of the 20th century, 1912, whenever. And you don't know when you're going to be seeing anybody at all that could be coming by. I mean, you're adrift on the ocean with 100 million percent of uncertainty in front of your face. Yep. So, you know, I compare the two in the same fashion. They may not be, and it may not necessarily be a great metaphor, but to me that helps connect the dire situation that... And the he... sense of hopelessness that the person may have been feeling. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's exactly what the tragic element of this story is, is the hopelessness and the fact that some one may have risen above that hopelessness, but how many people did not get a chance to rise above that hopelessness and have people left at home that one will not get their loved one back Two are only left with the question of obviously, obviously at this point they didn't, they're gone. They're yeah. But, you know, you don't officially get an you don't get an official your loved one is dead. You know, you get the assumption and eventually at some point that assumption has to become a reality because it's been so long that it is what it is. Yeah, the only time you're ever getting like positive information that your loved one is dead is if they have died in an obvious place. And even then, you'll know that your loved one's dead, but they're not coming home. Yeah. And no, there's a big, um, like a big debate because one wife asked a climber to bring her husband's wedding ring home. And he's like, I'm not doing it. I'm not taking anything off of these bodies. They stay as they lay. Yeah. And that's the tragic element of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I really feel like 
we've covered a lot. Uh, just, I literally <laughs> just looked at the clock and realized we're almost an hour into this episode. And I feel like we've covered a lot, but we haven't covered a lot. If you give me a movie that I know I mean, a lot of shit about, I go. Well, and I that's one of the reasons why I was happy to do this, because I knew with the fact that I didn't have time to fully prepare the episode like I should as the host. But I knew good and hell well, as much as you love this movie, I was not going to have any problem with filling the hour-ish of time yeah. with content because you were going to be able to go and could pretty, pretty much basically carry the entire episode solo. I just <laughs> here's like window dressing, which I'm fine with, but at the end of the day, you know, we've had a very good episode and the fact that we all know for listeners purposes where I try and keep the episode lengthwise. I, I almost hate to do it, but I think we got to get to um, our overall reviews and rating for the movie. Cause like I said, we're damn near pushing an hour into the movie. So or into the episode. So as a whole, I mean, obviously, we know Shannon loves the movie. I can probably guess what your rating's going to be, but I would like to offer you the floor to let the listeners know your overall feelings of the movie and go ahead and rate the movie for us. 4.9. <laughs> Not quite perfect, but still perfect enough. Yes. So, um, is there anything that you haven't covered? as far as your opinion that you want to make sure that the listeners get to take away from this episode? I would say that even if this isn't your normal cup of tea, as far as a movie goes, like I love disaster movies. I love them. Um, but when you have a disaster movie that has the human element um, and it's a true story that puts it on a completely different realm and when you have a true story that is done so specifically close to actual events and they pay so much attention to being respectful and respectful to the people that died, the people that lived, um, the story itself, mm -hmm. it's just, it's phenomenal. Um, I have probably seen this movie 25 to 30 times in my life since it came out in 2015. So it's one of those movies that I can watch over and Which over is, and over again. And I have, obviously. Obviously, for those who don't want to do the math, you know, this came out in 2015 and it's 2023. So Shanna's seen it 30 times in eight years. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, that says a lot of those movies. Movie right there. Yeah. It's just visually breathtaking. They did such an amazing job of portraying the mountain and mm -hmm. the consequences of mother nature and mother nature is a bitch. Yeah. And the, the climbers will to live. I mean, even when their bodies are breaking, just that will to live. And it's just, it's tragic. It's beautiful. It's encouraging. It's everything that I, want in a movie when I sit down to watch a movie like this. I did not feel disappointed at all. Yeah. I did not feel like they left anything out. I would have to give it 4.9 just because 
I don't believe there is a perfect movie, but this is about as close as it gets to a perfect movie for me. No, and that's one of those topics that we've had numerous times in the last, what, two and a half years is, you know, there's been moments where I, as a host, or Amanda, as my co-host, may have prostituted our five out of five for a movie that we were emotionally connected to. And we've also talked about the fact that other times that, you know, maybe because of that emotional connection, we might have given that absolute perfect score when, you know, technically there really is nothing that is 100% perfect at the end of the day. Um, As far as, like, disaster movies go, this movie is probably the greatest disaster movie that I have seen in my entire life. Um, Thank you for recommending that I watch it because I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Definitely. Let me ask you this. You are a movie buff. You're driven at what? 4.9 out of 5. Nice. I was going to ask you because you are a movie watcher just like myself. And Mm -hmm. you enjoy watching movies. And because you have that love, you well, don't always not right. cool as ice. But... <laughs> Sometimes you're you not living find... that one down anytime soon. So. <laughs> but is this one that you will find yourself rewatching for no reason? Yes. See that, and that's why I like to ask people too, because there's some movies that you can watch once and really, really enjoy, and then just never see it again. Um, So I always like to ask people when they have really, really good reaction to a movie that I recommend, if it's something that they could see themselves watching again. See, and this is where um, myself and the third Reaper, who's not on this episode, tend to possibly butt heads with each other is the fact that we both know that certain movies and i'm not going to name specifics because shanna being a part of this podcasting group knows some of the things that amanda and i have butted heads over and as far as greatness goes and at the end of the day um a lot of it boils down to a certain movie we'll metaphorically refer to it as the Stephen King movie. Shannon knows which one I'm talking about. I think so, yeah. I love the movie. I feel it is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Point blank. Amanda has said numerous times when we discussed the subject on An Evening at the Movies that it's a great movie. But she doesn't classify it as highly as I do, because she does not deem it as being a rewatchable movie. And for her standard, that I accept that. I may not necessarily like it, but... If it's the movie I'm thinking of, I've watched it once, and that was enough for me. The one that I will... With the mouse? That would be the one. Yeah. 
yeah, it, I've, I've watched it. I watched it with an open heart and an open mind. I enjoyed it. But because it is such an emotional movie, I tend to not go towards, I, I don't gravitate towards those for my rewatches. That's the thing is like, I, I personally think it's rewatchable as hell. I don't but like to intentionally I, I, punch myself in the face twice. That's where I was going to go with was like, you have to be, and I'm not trying to glamorize the subject, but you have to be an emotional cutter. Yeah. To be able to go back and rewatch. Okay. For those of you who haven't put two and two together to rewatch the green mile, because it is very real. It is very emotional. And it is very well acted. And if you have a soul, it will make you cry. I don't care how many times. I've seen that movie probably 40, 50 times in my entire lifetime since it came out 24 years ago. 25 years ago. Whatever the hell it is. But and still, every time I've seen it, I still ugly cry in like three different spots in that movie. But that's just... I can handle being that emotionally vulnerable to rewatch a movie that I love. Other people can't do that. And that's part of the reason why, yes, Amanda and I will butt heads over it, but I accept the fact that she does not deem it as being rewatchable because of the fact that she doesn't feel she can emotionally handle what it's going to do to her soul to have to sit through that movie. Right. And And there are, that's a long movie to have to sit through. Too. Right. And there's a lot of like heavy subject matter in it. Oh. Um, so, oh, I mean, absolutely. there are some movies that start, I will watch. Literally start to finish. Right. There's some movies that like make me cry that I will rewatch again because like the trigger moments are small. Like I will rewatch mm. Never Ending Story a million times and that Artax scene gets me every goddamn time. Mm. That is definitely a movie that if somebody were to recommend it for an evening at the movies, one, we all know what the rule is. If you recommend a movie on an evening at the movies, it will get done. But I, as the host of the show, will do anything and everything I can to delay, prolong, <laughs> everything possible. To if it involves vanilla ice. Not, I would, I'm not going to lie. I will rewatch Cool as Ice again before I will willfully sit through that damn scene and the sadness of the swamps. And no, <laughs> no, I'm e- even thinking about it right now. I'm getting a freaking, not a whole big one, but a little bit of a freaking lump in the back of my damn throat. So, no, I mean, again, if somebody wants to do it, recommend it, it'll get done. But I recommend know- it. <laughs> you're fucking fired. Um, Can't now fire the chat me, is- I quit. <laughs> so, evidently coming soon on an evening at the movies, we will be discussing the never-ending story. Um, but that... When that movie came out, I remember... I was in, like, second grade, I think, when that movie came out. I was a young kid when that... I'm, like seven eight years old when that movie came out and that scene that we're talking about with atreyu and the horse and no that 
fucked up my whole weekend for the whole weekend. And I remember we rented the thing on VHS and I watched it on Friday after school. My whole weekend was screwed up for the rest of that weekend. You know what scene really freaked me out is when the nothing is shaped like that werewolf bear. That fucked with me. Right. So I'm going to put a pigeonhole in this discussion and you know what? Screw this. Um, so as I will say this, um, and I'm not jumping the gun. I'm going to let Shanna say her goodbyes and let everybody know where they can find all of her different shows. But um, coming up on an evening at the movies, um, we are working on, we pretty much have an August schedule figured out. Um, you can find updates on social media as to what we've got coming up each and every week. Or um, I will officially write it out and I will let everybody know what's coming up in August when next we discuss our next movie, which I believe is going to be King Dre Day on August 7th. We will be here for, dear God, forgive me if I mispronounce this, don't be a menace to South Central. While drinking while drink, your juice in the hood. Juice in the, while drinking your juice in the hood. So that will be coming up August 7th. We've got some more stuff to fill out August. Then coming up in September, Amanda and I will be starting our journey into the Stephen King cinematic universe in chronological order, starting in 1976 with Carrie, followed up by Salem's Lot, followed up by The Shining, followed up by Creepshow and Christine. Where are we going to fit Good Burger in there in September? Yours on your birthday. It'll get recorded end of September, end of August, beginning of September, and it'll drop on your birthday. So definitely September. We also have Shanna's birthday movie coming up as well as please go vote on an, the, an evening at the movies group page, because right now we are looking to fill all the episode spots for Halloween horror fest, 2023. And there is a big freaking 10 option long poll. You can vote up to three times for your top three favorite movies. <laughs> 10 option hole. <laughs> Dirty. Yeah. <laughs> Very. But you can, at the end of the day, we will, um, we're going to start Halloween Horror Fest more than likely with Sweeney Todd. Finish it with a discussion on Five Nights at Freddy's. And then there's a bunch of episodes in the middle that we've got to fill. So um, more than likely, the, probably the top four vote getters will be the episodes that go in between those two movies as well. We also have another member of the network birthday on October 29th. And his bald-headed, old fogey, four-life ass better let me know what he wants to do for his episode. So we can plan for that accordingly as well. So we've got a birthday episode for Harvey coming up in October as well. So stay tuned for that. Birthday episodes for Dre in August, Shanna in September, Harvey in October, and then not another birthday episode until Amanda's in December. So with all that said, lots of stuff coming up on an evening at the movies. More than likely, I'm willing to say at this point, let's just fucking start November off after we get through Halloween Horror Fest with the never-ending story and just rip the fucking bandaid off and do this shit. Yes, I'm game. So, well, I figure you are in the other <laughs> part of this trio probably is as well. So with all that said, definitely thank you to the listeners for being here each and every week. 
Shanna, the microphone is yours. Let everybody know what all you guys have coming up and where they can find your multitude of podcasts that you do each and every week. All right. Well, this is dropping on Wednesday. So if you are listening, please go check out the latest episode of Crime Rewind, which dropped yesterday for True Crime Tuesday. Um, That is a show that Amanda and I host, and we talk about the old, the cold, and the often untold stories of uh, true crimes that often no longer have any kind of traction, no more you know, publicity or anything, or they've just never received it. So we are hoping to shed light on new and old cases that need attention. And then Casey, Amanda, and I are also known as your favorite literary podcast group. We are the Literature Reapers. And this month we are reading a book called The Spare Room. And we will be reviewing that and dropping our thoughts and criticisms and Everything that we have to say about the book coming the first Monday of August. And then we will be announcing our next read as well. Absolutely. So definitely tune in to your next episode of Literature Reapers with Casey, Amanda, and Shanna, where um, Amanda will be making her selection for our August read. But aha. I can show it on camera because we're not releasing the video and Shannon knows what we're talking about, but yet the listeners don't. So ha, ha, you got to listen to find out. Um, yes. Uh, good intentions and um, hopefully all things accordingly. You will be getting your next episode of Literature Reapers on August or July 31st. Only because of the fact that the first of August falls on a Tuesday, and truth be told, we got a lot of stuff going on on August 7th, and you'll get it when you get it. You get it when you get it, and the plan is the plan is that you might get it a day earlier. So don't say we never gave you nothing. Yeah, we try. There's a reason why we're the number eight ranked literature review show on good pods that's because we're the eighth best podcast in reviewing literature so suck that to the other 92 shows behind us and if you're not down with that we got two words for you suck it so um again thank you guys for being here thank you shanna for stepping in and help me fill this gap so that i have an episode for everybody to listen to this week and thank you for letting me be on the show to talk about one of my favorite movies you are welcome to come back on the show anytime you want and it's almost you don't even have to ask anymore just freaking if you know something's coming up just freaking show up because and um i do officially have an announcement we have late breaking news um Harvey may have selected his birthday episode while we were doing the wrap-up. I saw that. And um, I'm just going to throw this out there that um, October 29th, we might be discussing So I Married an Axe Murder. On I remember Indian seeing movie. that movie in the theaters. So do I, and I haven't seen it in a long freaking time. So Whoa, man. At this time. 
at this point, this will be three movies in a row that I either have not seen or Harvey has recommended that have come clearly out of the blue and like, oh, damn. Because he and I have a midsummer and happiness that we have to discuss both fucked up movies. You're doing now, midsummer? Oh, my. Yeah. It's, have you seen it? And while it's the greatest horror movie that I've ever read in my entire life. I spoiled my freaking gimmick for the damn episode already, so it is what it is. But, yeah, because the version I saw had subtitles. So I had to read along while I watched the freaking movie. It's definitely worthy of the fact that while I was doing the voting list for the October episodes, it popped up several times on top 50, top 75 horror movies of all time. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to sit down with Harvey and discuss that movie. It's right up there with Hereditary for me and Fucked Up. Yeah. Um, I purposely left Hereditary off the option list <laughs> because I've had enough people tell me Hereditary is fucked up. And You've not, you haven't seen it? Nope. Oh, my goodness. And the great Hashtag, words... you've, got a birthday, you've got a birthday coming up in 13 months, so you can totally screw with me and pick that. In the great words of my birthday boy today, oh, my goodness. Oh, it's yeah. Well, Larry's birthday. It is Larry's birthday today, so happy birthday, Larry, as well. Today, not today being... Yeah. Days ago, not Wednesday. So, as of recording I'm day, rambling Larry is six years old. Yes, as of recording day, Larry is six. He's growing up so fast. He is um, my sweet little man. I'm going to quit rambling though and let everybody know thank you again for being here. We enjoy you guys, we love you guys. You guys are fucking awesome. Check out Literature Reapers, check out Crime Rewind, check out the live draft. Every Tuesday, 545, 645, 745, 845. And give us, a, zone give us a review. We like those. We do actually love reviews. I review any of the above shows. We appreciate the feedback. And if you've got ideas, if you have movies, if you have books that you would like us to read and review on um, Literature Reapers, if you would like to join us for a read and come on Literature Reapers. We're open to any and all possibilities. We are very giving hosts and we would love to share our podcast space with anybody who's willing to come on. As we will be allowing Chancy Greif to be coming on shortly and discussing The Hellbound Heart, which is the book that Hellraiser is based off of. Right. So, and you never know, you may discover an unknown passion. Like I started podcasting. Because someone needed a quick fill-in guest, and then here I am. Exactly, and now you got like freaking eight. You're a two-show Shanna, so at the end of the day, yay! Well, <laughs> 2.5 episode Shanna, or 2.5 show Shanna, because let's be honest, at the end of the day, the official invitation hasn't been extended, but you may as well be the third co-host on an evening at the movies as well. Yep. So, 
at the end of the day. We love the listeners, though, and you guys are awesome. So thank you for being here. And at the end of the day, we hope you guys all come back for an evening at the movies. Have a good week, guys. We will see you on King Dre Day. So start the fucking countdown, Dre. We're on our way. Peace and hair hair grease. Always gonna be an uphill battle. Somebody go.